If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 11 today. Luke chapter 11. We are walking through a series called Where Are We Going? And over the last couple of weeks, we were looking at one of the purposes that we believe that God has given to his church, and that is the purpose of worship. As we were talking about it, we have said that we believe God has given us six primary purposes as a church that we're spending this fall going through. The first of those we have gone through over the last couple of weeks, and that is exalting God in worship, exalting God in worship. And as we've looked at that, we looked two weeks ago about Isaiah 6, about what worship is as we reflect on who God is, who we are, and respond in repentance and obedience. Then we looked last week at practical ways for you to worship by yourself, to worship at work, and to worship at home with your family. Now, we're jumping down to purpose number five. I should probably put them in the order we're covering them, so I'll try to fix that for next week. Um, But we are jumping down to purpose number five of encountering God through prayer. If you remember when we looked at the overview and I kind of showed you the graph of the different purposes that we have as a church and how you as the church body ranked where we are during that assessment that we took back in the spring, you, you may remember that the strongest two for us were worship and Prayer. Those were the two that we're kind of the best at as far as uh, kind of making sure we're covering and intentionally pouring into those areas. And then it kind of got a little bit worse from there as we went through. Why then are we covering these first? Well, the reason I wanted to cover both worship and prayer first is they are foundational to everything else that we do. If you and I are not worshiping individually, if we're coming together as a church and not worshiping corporately, then none of the rest of this is going to matter. In the same kind of way, if you are not developing a vibrant, active prayer life, and if we're not developing a vibrant prayer life, we're not going to be able to accomplish any of the other purposes. So because these two are so foundational and interrelated, we wanted to go ahead and take time to cover them up front. After this, by the way, we're going to start talking about evangelism is going to be our next one that we move to. Evangelism, if you're not familiar with the term, is where I share the gospel or share the story of what Jesus has done in my life with somebody who doesn't know about Jesus or doesn't have a relationship with him with the hope that that person will come into a relationship with Jesus just like I've had the privilege of knowing. And so we're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks. Why I'm bringing that up now is because I want you to get ready to respond to an opportunity that we're going to have to invest in the kingdom of God. Here's what we're going to be looking at when we look at worship and, or excuse me, look at evangelism. There's a couple different aspects of it. One is the fact that we need to be doing evangelism personally and as a church. There's another aspect in which we need to come alongside other churches and other ministries and missions organizations who are doing a great job of evangelizing their area or working with a specific group of people or or things along those lines. So October 16th and 23rd, when we go to talk about evangelism, we're going to have an opportunity to support one of those ministries. There is a multi-ethnic church plant in Roanoke by the name of the Hill Church. Charles Wilson is the pastor there, and I had the privilege of sitting down with Pastor Charles a few weeks ago and hearing about their goal for ministry there in a very uh, difficult, underserved area in Roanoke. They have a tremendous vision for how God can use them to impact the community, and we're going to hopefully have some representatives from their church, either the 16th or the 23rd, come down. We have a video that introduces their ministry to you, and what we're going to do is on the 16th and the 23rd, we're going to have a way for you to be able to contribute financially to what God is doing through the Hill Church. In full disclosure, 
We have had a family at the church who gave a generous donation to the church that's allowed us to do a few extra things. And so we're taking a portion of that offering and letting that be kind of the foundation and the base. I'm not gonna pretend to you that we're doing a matching gift that for every dollar up to this amount, we're not doing that, okay? But what we're doing is we're taking a portion of that donation that's been given as kind of the the basis of that offering and then anything else that the church wants to add to it to be able to bless the church and the, the Hill Church up in Roanoke in a significant way because they're doing an incredible job reaching their community, okay? Uh, If you have more, I wanted to introduce that now because I know uh, it's the first of the month. We've got a couple of weeks, so you can start budgeting. Maybe you want to skip a meal out and eat some peanut butter sandwiches so you can set that aside to be able to give to the Hill when it comes time, whatever it may be that God calls you to do. uh, We're going to have ways for you to do that here in a couple weeks. If you have any questions, like I said, let me know on that, all right? Now, this morning, though, we're talking about prayer. How many of you have been given this advice when it comes to praying? It's advice that I still give to this day, but when you're talking with somebody who's just coming into a relationship with Christ or just getting started figuring out who God is, often we'll say to them something like this, prayer is easy. It's just talking to God like I'm talking to you. How many of you have said that or had somebody tell you something like that, okay? I've said it, and it's not totally wrong. That's actually not bad advice. Because the reality is a lot of people, when they're coming into a relationship with Jesus or just hearing about prayer for the first time, maybe they had a grandmother who prayed the rosary. And, and so they think for me to pray, I have to have this, that necklace or those beads in my hand, you know, and I've got to go through this thing and I've got to recite this particular prayer over and over again or say these kind of things. And so what we want to make clear is that the Bible tells us that, that prayer is just communicating with God like I'm talking with you. It's not, there, there's not a, a gong we have to ring. There's no bell we have to ring. We don't have to offer some kind of food offering to get God's attention like other religions teach. Prayer is us communicating with God, and, and it's something that's simple enough that a child can do it, just with the, there doesn't have to be some big theological language that you have to use or anything like that. So that's not terrible advice, right? I, I still, like I said, to this day, I still use that. Prayer is just talking to God like I'm talking to you. However, I started learning as I was a teenager that there's more to prayer than than just that talking to God like I'm talking to you. I'll give you an example. I had the privilege, we were doing a church-wide meal one time when I was a teenager. And it was a a dinner theater. Our youth choir was performing and I was the president of the youth choir. So that meant I had to give the, the blessing for the meal before the performance. And I had a mentor there. He was the associate pastor there at the church I grew up in. And he was investing heavily in me. And he did that night because I got up and prayed something like this. God, we just thank you, God, so much, God, for this day. God, we're just so grateful, God, for you bringing us together. God, we just, we just, God, thank you so much for providing us this food. And as we eat this food, God, we just pray, God, that this would, God, just be a great time of worship, God, that it would just be a good time of fellowship, God, for us to get together, God. And in Jesus' name, amen, right? I get off the stage, Pastor Gary pulls me aside before the thing even starts. Like everybody's eating and we're getting ready to perform. And Pastor Gary pulls me aside and pulls me into a closet and says, hey, Sean, I wanted to talk to you, Sean, about the prayer, Sean, that you just prayed, Sean. And so, Sean, you prayed, Sean, this, he had counted 11 times in 19 seconds. I said, Lord or God or just. And in that moment, God heard my prayer. There's no question it came of a heart where I was genuinely trying to communicate with God But Gary called me out on it and said, Sean, you're using God's name like a vocal pause, like you'd say, um. And he said, you're actually talking to God. And he also knew that God had called me into ministry at that point. He said, people are going to pattern the way that they pray after the way they hear you pray from the pulpit or pray with them in the hallway or pray with them in a classroom. And so 
you need to get that under control and you need to start paying attention to what you're saying when you pray. Now that stung a little bit. I'm gonna be honest, right? Like, I mean, who are you to tell me? But he's right. You see, there's more to prayer than simply the idea of it's just talking to God like I'm talking to you. Jesus's disciples were aware of that. And so they figured Jesus was the master at praying. So as we pick up in Luke chapter 11, they're asking him the question, Lord, teach us to pray. And as we look at how he teaches us to pray, I'm going to be honest, we could spend six weeks on this passage easily without hesitation or reservation. We're going to try to cover a lot of territory this morning. And actually not that, that's John 17, where I'm writing my paper. I need to get back over to Luke. (laughs) Um, Y'all, I'm telling you, I am writing a paper that is a lot of fun. Uh, I'll tell you about it, sidebar, some other time. Anyway, as we're diving into Luke chapter 11, we're seeing Jesus responding to the question that his disciples gave him of, Lord, when are you gonna teach us how to pray? And as he does, we're gonna focus on three main aspects, and we're gonna hit these very quickly as we try to give you an overview of how to take prayer beyond just the simple, I'm talking to God like I'm talking to you. Now, nothing about this means that you have to use big theological language. Nothing about this implies that you should pray repetitious prayers over and over and over again to try to get God's attention. This doesn't go against the simplicity of prayer, but rather it directs the content and the attitudes that govern our time in prayer. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that there's going to be times when we're going to be in long, kind of extended times of, with God in prayer, was we were talking about worship. And, and then we said that there's times, though, when prayer is really brief that it's a quick, just kind of off the cuff. We don't have a whole lot of time. As we look at prayer this morning, what I'm going to suggest to you is as we see the content that Jesus gives us, probably every time you pray, you're not going to cover all of the things that Jesus tells us to cover. However, if you were to kind of back out and put all your prayers together over the course of a 24-hour period, maybe two days, you should have covered all of this probably over the course of a day or two. Okay, it's not going to be every single time you pray, but throughout it, you should cover most of it. So with that in mind, here's what I want you to do. Uh, Luke chapter 11, let's read the first four verses just to kind of get a little bit of context. He was praying, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Verse two, he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. Now, this is a really short version of what Matthew refers to often as the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. Um, I like referring to it as the model prayer because it isn't the prayer that Jesus needed to pray because Jesus didn't need to pray for forgiveness. I like to refer to it as the model prayer because it's the template that Jesus gave us about how we should pray. So the first thing that we see in these verses is that he outlines for us, number one, the content of prayer. Okay, by the way, real quick pause, totally side note. How many of you guys wish that we had a handout like we did last week? How many of you guys are wishing for that? Okay, all right, there's a handful. All right, we were gonna do those for sure when we do more practical stuff and we're giving you lots of information, but we may shift to giving you a handout every week. There is a space on the back of the paper bulletin for you to take notes, but we may start shifting to a handout every week, all right? Um, we'll put Stacy on notice if she's watching from home. <laughs> all right, as we're doing this, the content of prayer, he's gonna give us four kind of categories. Now, as you look at this, he says, when you pray, pray this way, right? He actually says here, say this. In the, in the parallel passage in Matthew, Jesus says, pray in this way. So it's not necessarily saying you have to pray this exact prayer every time you pray or God's not going to listen. Instead, what Jesus is doing us is giving us 
categories, the, the kinds of things about which we should be praying. So he starts off with, by saying, Father, your name be honored as holy. Now, there's a lot we could talk about with the aspect of God as Father. This was a new concept for the, the Jews. Jesus was introducing this incredible relationship that we have where we're drawn into the relationship that exists between the Father and the Son. Um, that's what I'm writing my paper on, by the way, so I'm not going to nerd out on it too much today. But as we look at it, we have this privilege of coming to God as our Heavenly Father. But then notice what he says. He says that we're to pray that your name be honored as holy. Now, does that sound familiar? Think about what we talked about two weeks ago. What was it that Isaiah saw when he had this vision of seeing God seated high and lofty on the throne? What were the angels doing? They were flying around and they were declaring to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, right? Now, what's interesting is that's what we said worship is. Worship is reflecting on who God is. It's, it's recognizing that God is holy. That idea of holiness is, again, moral purity. And also, when we're talking about God, the fact that he is set apart from everything in all of creation. There's not a single thing that's ever been made that is like God. He exists in a category all into himself, and that makes him holy. And that includes his moral purity. He is totally and completely pure and just and right. He is separate from any immorality or anything like that, okay? So when Jesus is teaching us to pray, the first thing he's teaching us to do in prayer is worship, to recognize the holiness of God. This is why it's important for us to do that because a lot of us have this tendency to rush into our prayer as though God were a cosmic vending machine. I mean, are you honest about that? Like, now, again, there's times we don't have a whole lot of time for setup for prayer. There's times we just got to ask real quickly. But a lot of times we sit down and it's like, okay, God, um, I need a Snickers and a bag of chips and a Coke Zero, right? But what Jesus is telling us is as you come to your heavenly father who loves you more than you can ever begin to imagine, also recognize and acknowledge that he is the holy God of the universe. He is the creator. He is the author. He is the sustainer. He is life. I mean, Mike talked about the fact that we figured out how to slam a refrigerator into an asteroid to deflect the course of the thing this week. I mean, how ridiculously cool is that, for the record? I had the, the privilege of sitting down. Somebody Google for me real quick. How far away is Jupiter? Okay, somebody Google for me. Uh, how far away is Jupiter from Earth? This week, I, I had this telescope that's got a big old piece of glass in it with some little pieces of glass in it. And I was able to stand in my backyard in Christiansburg and be real still and look through and be able to see the lines on Jupiter as it was so bright in the sky this week. How far away is it? Somebody tell me. 368.12 million. So 368 million miles away. I can see that. I can see it about this big. But there's a God in heaven who can do more than deflect an asteroid with a refrigerator. He, he can call the stars by name. He, he can hold it all together. And as I'm coming to God in prayer, yes, he, we're going to see, he comes, we're supposed to bring requests with us. But it's got to come with an attitude of worship. So as you think about your prayer life, my first question for you, as you think about the content of how you've been praying, how often is worship 
the first place you go in prayer. Jesus said it's supposed to be, recognizing he's our father, asking that his name be considered as holy. Now, the next request follows up on that. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now, we know and and assert without hesitation or reservation that God is sovereign over everything that takes place in the universe. God is ultimately in control of everything that happens. Nothing happens without him allowing it to happen or causing it to happen, depending on your theology. God, uh, God is over everything that takes place in the universe. However, there is a unique aspect in which God's kingdom is where his exercise of his rule is acknowledged and followed by those who are underneath him. In other words, for those of us who are Christians, we willingly submit ourselves to what God says we're supposed to do and not do, right? We're a part of his kingdom. He's our king. He's our boss. He's our leader. He's our Lord. He's our guide. We willingly submit ourselves to him in that role. And so, When he's saying, your kingdom come, we know that God's sovereign over everything, but he's saying that we should be praying that God's will would be done, that everybody would submit to it like we do. That that everything that God would ultimately want to happen, happens. Now, again, nothing can thwart the plans or purposes of God, and this gets into a really fun discussion that we can have in a sidebar conversation. But he's praying, your kingdom come. God, and you see it more fully in Matthew, where he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Saying, so... As I'm getting ready to make my request, before I say anything, I'm to approach God in worship and acknowledging that his kingdom matters, not mine. See, what this does, by asking God, your kingdom come, we're seeking to bring our heart, our purposes, our thought in line with what God desires to happen in the world and the universe. Say, God, I'm getting ready to make requests of you but I want those requests to only be fulfilled if they bring your kingdom to bear. I want you to be in charge. So before I ask anything, I'm recognizing you are my father, you are holy, and your kingdom is what matters, not me. Okay? How often do you pray that way? Or are you only concerned about the things that you think you need and you want? Or do you recognize that God knows best and that you should willingly submit to that in prayer? It goes on to say, give us our daily bread. There's so many beautiful nuances to this. But here's at least what we see. Having acknowledged who God is, recognizing that we want to submit to his purposes, it's okay to pray for things we need. Okay? I've known people in the past who have a really hard time because they're like, well, yeah, but if I was really spiritual, I wouldn't really need this or I wouldn't feel like this. If I, if I was really, you know, because it's just physical stuff, it doesn't matter. It's okay to pray for people to be healed. It's okay for, to pray for God to provide resources for folks who don't have it or for you when you need it. It's okay to pray those things. In fact, Jesus said we're supposed to. We should pray for physical needs. That's a good God-honoring prayer. But it is interesting to notice that he says, give us our daily bread. Bread, not steak, right? Give me what I need today. And today. Not give me what I need for tomorrow or the next day or the next day or the next day or the next day. Now, listen, God is gracious. I believe as I look around the room, I'm not aware of anybody whose pantry is empty today. Now, I know we have folks in our community who struggle with, or excuse me, who struggle with food scarcity. There are folks around the world. But, but for those of us in this room today, 
you have food in your pantry when you go home. And if not, I believe everybody has the resources to be able to get something from Kroger or Food Lion on the way. If you don't, by the way, that's one of the reasons we're here as a church is to help you to be able to meet those needs. We've got a group of men who are deacons who would love to come alongside you and to be able to help you with that. Mike Montgomery's our lead deacon. Tim Repass is one of our deacons. Randy Marshall, uh, Ricky Fielder back here, and Doug Krause. You see any of those guys and quietly, confidentially, is that ever, I know Gordon has served as a deacon as well. Brett has served as a deacon as well. Um, any of these guys will quietly, confidential, confidentially, we'll do what we can to be able to meet those needs however we can, okay? All right? But the reality is, I don't know of anybody in the room that's exactly in that situation, which means God's given you more than your daily bread. God's given you more than what you need for today. You know what we also find? God doesn't just give us our daily bread. He often does give us the steak. He gives us the things we want. But as we're praying, our our prayers need to be directed specifically towards the things we need. Now, we're sometimes bad at distinguishing what that is, but at the same time, Jesus tells us it's okay it's good. That's where you should seek for those things, all right? So praying in worship, recognizing his kingdom, then acknowledging physical needs. But it's interesting, he doesn't stop with just the physical. In fact, look at the amount of space that he gives there in verse three. Give us each day our daily bread. And then verse four, look how much longer verse four is than verse three. Maybe there's an emphasis there that we should notice. Because he shifts from the physical needs to the spiritual. Forgive us our sins, for we, also, or for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and don't bring us into temptation. So here we're to be praying for our spiritual needs as well, and if not, maybe more, because he actually gives us two spiritual requests and only one physical. Kind of interesting to notice. Because a lot of times we run into the situation, uh, this happens with church prayer meetings. I'm grateful that it's not characteristic of our prayer meeting. But I've heard some say before that in prayer meetings, often Christians spend more time praying to keep believers out of heaven than to keep sinners out of hell, okay? To to make that clear, we pray that God will heal this person of cancer or this person of this illness or this person of this ailment. And the reality is if they die from that thing, they're gonna go to heaven to be with Jesus. So it's not really that bad a deal for them. Instead, uh, we spend so much time focusing on those things that often we forget to pray for the fact that we've got a lost coworker who needs to know who Jesus is, or a neighbor, or we've got friends like Ryan and Kelly Day who are serving with the International Mission Board trying to take the gospel to Japan, or folks like Charles up at the Hill Church trying to reach a difficult area of Northwest Roanoke. We've got these folks that we need to be praying for God to work in spiritual ways, not just the physical things. But now notice specifically the content. Forgiveness and protection. He asks us, he says that we're to pray for God to forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sinned against us, right? That's the fun part. First off, you say, well, you know, didn't I, I pray to have Jesus forgive me my sins when I got saved? Yes, you did. And the reality is that when you come into a relationship with Christ, you are covered with the righteousness of Christ. You are drawn into a relationship with him that you cannot ever lose. However, at the same time, how many of you ever remember a time where I know this probably never happened, but you disobeyed your mom and dad. Do you ever have that time where you disobeyed your mom and dad and they didn't find out about it yet? But you just knew they would? Did you like to be in the same room as them? Did did you ever want to look them in the eye? No. Now, they still loved you. They're still your mom and dad. But when there's an offense in the relationship, it breaks the ability to enjoy that. 
And so in the same kind of way, when you come to Christ, he forgives your sins and you're, you're made righteous. You're declared righteous. You're covered with the, the righteousness of Christ. But at the same time, we still continue to sin. And when we're continuing to sin as believers, it interrupts that fellowship with hell with God. We can't enjoy being with him because we know we're not living like we're supposed to be. We know we're not doing what we're supposed to. And so Jesus says, we are to ask God to forgive us. Now, look at again at the assumption that goes with that. Forgive us our sins for, because we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. Ooh, that's a scary prayer, isn't it? It's like when I had a professor who said that his professor, when he was in Bible college, used to pray, God, give these students recall in proportion to their faithfulness to you. In other words, let them remember what they need for the test as faithful as they have been to you. That's a scary prayer. In the same kind of way, God, forgive me because I've forgiven those who've sinned against me. And we could go real deep into a talk on forgiveness. There's a lot there. But the reality is what we have done to God is always far worse than anything that anyone has done to you. That's not to say that people have not sinned against you. Did you notice? He said, forgive us our debt, right? Forgive us as we also forgive everyone in debt to us. It happens. People genuinely hurt, wound, offend, devastate us. But we have sinned against a holy God an innumerable amount of times. So we are sinners first before we're sinned against. So as we seek God's forgiveness, it has to come out of a heart that says, and I've forgiven those who've sinned against me. By the way, that, that's a process. There's the choice that says, I forgive this person. Then it, as you're working through the pain and it starts coming back up, you say, you know what? I, I've chosen to forgive them. And then by God's grace, as he works forgiveness through your heart, you reach a point where you can look back. You hear something good about them on Facebook. Their business is doing well. They just got married. They've got a new puppy, whatever it is. And you can look at that and be genuinely happy for them because you've forgiven them. Now, it's up to God to do the work about bringing justice where it needs to be. That doesn't mean that you don't pursue re restoration where it needs to be. There's lots to this. But if I'm going to ask God for forgiveness, I've got to be willing to extend it. And that's part of the content of prayer. Okay? Then we get to the last thing he says here about the content, and that is, and do not bring us into temptation. God, it'd be really great if not only will you forgive me from sinning, it's also that you'd stop me from doing it before I get there. God, would you keep me from being tempted because I know that if I'm tempted, I'll give in? I mean, it's, some of you guys have dieted before. You know, you can't have the ice cream in the house if you're trying not to eat ice cream. You just can't do that. So saying, God, would you keep me from temptation? Would you protect me from this? So, so here's the content of prayer. We're worshiping. We're seeking God's kingdom before anything else. We're asking for the requests that we need, both physically and spiritually, including forgiveness and protection from temptation and sin. Is that what your prayer life looks like? Because that's what Jesus said it should. And again, not every prayer is going to have this model and this path with it. But over the course of a day, has there been a time where you've stopped and prayed and worshiped? And has there been a time where you've stopped and said, God, you know, I don't know what's going on with this situation, but I want your will to be done. I want your kingdom to come in this situation and, and show yourself strong here. Have you been praying for requests or have you just been figuring out on your own? Have you been 
praying for your spiritual walk, the walk of your family and friends. What about temptation? Are you asking God to keep you from it? Or are you just hoping you don't mess it up when you get there? That's the content of prayer. Again, there's so much more that could be said here, but let's keep moving fairly quickly. The second thing that we see about prayer I love because Jesus goes on to talk about the audacity of prayer. The audacity of prayer. He goes on to tell us a story. I want to read it to you. Verse 5, he also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Now, pause real quick. Let me explain a few things in the context. Remember, this is written in the first century. There was no Kroger. There was no 24-hour Walmart. There was nothing like that. It's also a culture that is, puts an extremely high value on hospitality. If somebody shows up at your house, you go out of, out of your way in great lengths to be able to make sure that they're fed, that they're taken care of, that you make sure that they have a warm welcome. That was highly, highly important. If you didn't, it was a shame to you because you were a poor host, that you didn't have what you needed to welcome your friend, okay? So also keep in mind, this is in the days before electricity, So if anything that happens in the middle of the night is going to either happen in the dark or you're going to have to light a lantern or something like that to be able to do it. And also keep in mind, most houses in that day were one giant room, okay? That becomes important here in just a second. So your friend comes to you at midnight, says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I don't have anything to offer him. I'm about to be shamed as a host because I didn't get ready for this guy to come. It's midnight. It's pitch black. Verse 7. Then he'll answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness. I love that translation. of this. Uh, other translations say persistence. It's more rightly shameless boldness. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. Right? So keep in mind, this would mean in the middle of the night, you're sitting there in a one-room house with like mud walls and a door, and all of a sudden, hey, buddy, hey, my friends come. I need three loaves of bread, and like I need it yesterday, literally, like five minutes ago, right? And he says, man, look, my kids are all over the floor. Like we're all spread out asleep in this place. I'm gonna have to dig through it. I'm gonna have to light a lantern for you to find anything. Go away. But because this friend was so shamelessly bold, the guy will get up and say, you know what? All right, just leave me alone. So I go back to bed. He's tripping over his kids and the dog as he's trying to find his way around the house, pulling out bread that he was probably planning on eating yesterday or tomorrow, you know? It's just. It's an inconvenient situation. And Jesus said, this is a model for us in prayer. We're to annoy God? Not really. But we're supposed to show that same kind of shameless boldness in our prayer life. Have you ever watched any of the exposés on TV psychics? If you've ever watched it, you know how they do this. One, they're good at reading people. Two, they make stuff so generic that anybody could answer it, right? It's this, ah, oh, I, I sense that there's somebody in this room who's, who's 
having a, a struggle in their relationship. Okay, there's like 90 people in here. Of course, somebody's having a struggle in some kind of relationship. Oh, that's me. Oh, I, I just, it's, it's someone in your family. Yeah, my mom. How did you know, right? Some of us pray that way. You ever notice? God, would you just be with so-and-so today? Hey, that's not necessarily a bad prayer. How do you know if God answered it? Well, they didn't die today. Well, then God was with them. Great. See, Jesus tells us that we're supposed to have a shameless audacity. God, I want you to be with this person so that when they sit down to read their Bible today, that what they're reading just jumps off the page at them and they just become so convicted of who, they, who, who you're, you are and, and your love for them that they just can't get over it. Now, how do you know if God answers that prayer? Because they call you and say, man, I was reading my Bible this morning and it just, I just can't even tell you how awesome it was. God answered that prayer. It was bold, it was audacious, it was direct, it was specific. I think sometimes we dishonor God by the smallness of our requests because we're afraid to pray it because we don't want to importune God or because we don't want to be disappointed if he doesn't answer it. We don't pray for God to heal because he doesn't usually heal a lot of people. We don't pray for God to restore that marriage because, man, it's too far gone. We don't pray for God to change this person's heart because have you seen the way they've been living? Yet Jesus says, if we're going to pray, we need to pray with a shameless boldness. There's examples of this in Scripture. You go back to Abraham in Genesis where he meets with God there, and God tells him that he's getting ready to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. If you remember Abraham sitting there looking at God, says, look, I, I, I don't mean to be rude, but would you destroy the righteous with the ungodly in that city? And he says, no. He said, well, what if there's, God, what if there's 50 people? What if there's 50 righteous in that city? I wouldn't destroy it for 50. Okay, well, what if there's, it lacks five? What if there's 45? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? God said, I won't destroy it if there's 10. That's incredibly bold. God says, I'm going to do this. And you're like, well, maybe not. You see that same boldness displayed in Moses in Exodus chapter 33, where God says, look, you guys are going to go up to the promised land. I'm not going with you. If I go with you, I'm going to kill all of you. Like that's literally what God tells them. And Moses says, if you're not going with us, we're not going. Can you imagine looking at God and saying, no, uh-uh. No, that, that, that's not how this is going to work. You've said that I'm supposed to go up there and you haven't said who's going with me. So I'm not leaving here if you're not going with me. You want to know another audacious prayer from Scripture? Jesus, as he's getting nailed to the cross, prays, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That was the single most unjust act in human history. And yet Jesus has the audacity to pray for these men to be forgiven. They are literally trying and, and will succeed in killing him and ridiculing him the entire way through. And yet Jesus has the audacity to ask for their forgiveness. See, the Bible teaches us that we're to be bold in our prayer life. But Sean, that's, I mean, he's God. I can't talk to him like that. That's where we get to this last section. 
the confidence of prayer. The confidence of prayer. Jesus goes on and he says, pick up in verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? (laughs) If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is an infinitely better father than any of us. If my kids ask me for chicken nuggets today, I'm not going to give them a rock, right? Some of you are like, actually, snake's not all that bad. You know what he's saying. Stop it. The reality is, if we, as sinful as I am as a dad, I love to give my kids stuff. I love for them to get excited about the things that they get. It's so much fun. Then wouldn't we expect that the God who loved us so much that he gave us his own son would do the same? Now, real quickly, we can have confidence in prayer because God answers prayer, period. He does. He loves you, and he answers prayer. Now, somebody has once said that there's four different ways that God answers prayer. As you put these up, you see there's four different things. One, sometimes he says no. There's times when flat out the answer is no. This is not what's best for you. When God says no, it's not because he's angry at you or because he just wants to watch you squirm or he thinks that that thing would be too much fun for you to have it, so no. He knows it's not best. It's not what fits best in his kingdom or what you need. Sometimes the answer is wait. Not yet. There's something else that needs to happen and and it's not time. Sometimes that wait is actually grow. You're not ready for this. There's times where if God answered that prayer today, you know, think about a promotion you prayed for that The reason you wanted that promotion was so you could buy that thing. And God knew that you wouldn't use that money wisely if he gave it to you then. So it took a few years to get that promotion because he had to grow you to the point where you'd be responsible with the money he was giving you. Or if he healed that relationship, maybe there was something that he wanted to teach you in that time. You had to grow before he would make it right. And then other times it's go. Absolutely. Yes, do it. Go for it. If it's in line with what's best for you, What's best for his kingdom? And answer is go. Yes, go for it. Our loving heavenly father always answers prayer. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's wait or it's grow. Other times it's go for it. When it doesn't seem like he's answering, remember that he's already given you his son. He's already put his spirit inside you. So whether he ever answers a prayer in the affirmative in the way that you think that he should for the rest of your life, we can trust and have confidence 
to pray bold, audacious prayers to our heavenly Father who sits enthroned above the heavens and yet condescends to us. Lord, teach us to pray. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Give you a moment to put this into practice. I know we're going a little bit long today. But in this, let me ask you to do some evaluation. Does the content of your prayer life match up with the content that Jesus said should be in it? Are you praying audacious, bold prayers, asking for God to do the impossible and honoring him with that kind of request? And then do you have that confidence that you have a loving heavenly father who is more gracious to you than you could ever begin to imagine so you can be bold in prayer? Maybe there's something that God's been saying no to and it's something you need to surrender. Maybe it's something that he's telling you to wait because others aren't ready or grow because you're not ready. Or maybe he's answered go and you're too scared to do it. What is it that God's calling you to do to seek his face in prayer? I'm gonna let you just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, do business with God. If you need to talk with me or want me to pray with you about anything, if you need help figuring out how do you even start praying and come into this relationship with God, I'll be here to talk with you if you need to. If not, just do business with God there where you are. So Father, as we come into your presence, we're grateful for you we do acknowledge that you are holy. And we want your name to be lifted up as holy. We want all of the world to recognize how unique, how glorious, how incredible, how righteous and just you are. We desire for your kingdom to come to bear in earth in a unique way. We want to submit ourselves to your leadership and, and reflect your kingdom as best we can. As we talked about throughout 1 Peter when we were looking at that over the summer about living as exiles here on earth while we're still a part of your kingdom. God, we desire for more people to follow you, more people to honor you, more people to submit themselves to your control, to your leading, to your guiding, to your love. And then Father... We know there's a lot of requests on heart. We know there are physical needs in this church family. There are people who are undergoing health battles that are weighty and heavy. We pray for you to move in those in the way that only you can, for you to bring healing to those situations, for you to glorify yourself by, by suspending the laws of nature and working in miraculous ways where you see fit by giving grace and comfort to your people as they suffer. We pray, Father, that you would meet those needs in the way only you can. We pray, Father, as well for our, our spiritual needs. We pray that you would help us to seek you in everything and to seek forgiveness when we get off track. We thank you that you are a God who is faithful to forgive. God, would you keep us from temptation? The world around us is so loud. 
There's so many distractions, so many things that would pull us away from you. Keep us from temptation. We do say yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. So help us to become a people of prayer in even greater ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.